Let's go to Philippians chapter one. We talked about Paul last week and we're talking about Paul again this week. He says in verse 12, chapter one. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. He is in house arrest in an insula or a rented two-year apartment for prisoners in Rome. How many of y'all know that? He's on house arrest. So it's not at his house, but it's not like in a traditional prison. It's in what's called an insula. It's a rented place for prisoners and they're broken out all over the city. Sounds kind of cool. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of my brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true. Look to your neighbor, tell him it's true that some preach Christ out of envy, rivalry, may I add show, flattery, jealousy, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But what does it matter? Look to your neighbor and say, does it matter? Christ is preached. The important thing in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. I will, future tense, continue to rejoice no matter what I'm facing today, no matter what I went through yesterday, I will continue. I declare it first before I do it that in the future I will continue to rejoice. For I know through your prayers and God's provision, that supply of the spirit of Jesus Christ, that's the Holy Ghost. There's only one spirit that God has. What has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. As you're seated this morning, just look to three people, point to them, make them uncomfortable, and tell them my title is Why Me? As you take your seats, come on, take your seats, look to somebody, point to them, Why Me? Why Me? I didn't say, woe is me. I said, why me? <laughs> we, get, we go to the lake in the summer. Everybody knows that. It's, it's uh, what we do. And we spend about half our lake season in the summer, and I work from there. People say, have a great time. And I'm like, I'm just working like normal. But thank you. <laughs> but I have a nice window, and the scenery is different. So that's fun to me. And the kids swim. It's really good. We get off the electronics a little more. But... I've talked about how I'm trying to train my children so that dad don't have to do everything. How many have kids? How many are a kid? How many, ha how many had parents that had you? Every not everybody had parents that had them? Not everybody was born. How many was born from, from a mom? Oh, we got a good turnout today. Everybody. That's 100% accuracy. It's never happened here at One Seed. Well, I have five. And y'all know my children, it's good. Sometimes the loud baby in the back that makes the big interruption is mine and mom, mom takes her out. Mommy, that's my wife, takes her out. And um, my two boys are getting to an age now where they're getting kind of strong and they're prepubescent pre strong. I know in like three years they're gonna be like man strong and then I'm gonna actually be struggling rusty when we wrestle for real. And I'm gonna have to turn it up a couple notches and not try to break something in the process. Right now it's kind of like I don't have to try too hard but it's getting harder even with my daughters. Give it up for Chloe, by the way. She's 12. She's 12. 
I'm not just being like the overzealous dad, but she's 12. And I see a woman worship leader coming out of her. She's 12. I'm taking her to Elevation Church this weekend as a reward. We're going to, we're going to see it, baby, to, to, because she's, since, since Corona in the basement, when Noah Lonnie started getting with her and started teaching her, and she's been, she's, been, she's been learning, and she's just dedicated so much. So as a total side note, we're going on a daddy-daughter trip this weekend, and Pastor Vince is going to speak, and uh, we're going to reward her with seeing the next level. You got to see it before you can endure it. You getting this? We, we, we visit where we plan to be. We visit what we're doing here. We've seen it a few times, and when it happens here, it's familiar. So that's what we're doing. So good. I totally digressed, but back to the boys. So Colton especially, is he in here? Is he in class? I don't know. Well, he's kind of like getting this, I don't want to say attitude. He's getting like this tone with him that's a little different than the others. And, and, and I can see it progressing. I tell Michelle, this is going to be ugly in 16 years. If he's 16 doing this, I'm going to have to remember that he's a kid. And I, I, don't, I don't want to get there. So, so I love him to death, but he tends to get this thing with me like, like, I'm, like I'm bullying him. And so I put him to work at the lake when it's time to go home. There's a lot of cleanup. We've got to close up stuff, put away all the water toys and all the stuff. And lately we got some furniture for our deck because we just had none for a while. And we got these covers, and these covers have to go on a very specific way, or the wind is so strong, the wind will just blow them away. So we got the new covers. Dad has marked every cover for what piece of furniture it belongs to, because they all look kind of the same, and there's a lot of them, but we all team up and do it together. And, and so Colton's going to cover the, is he in here, Michelle? Okay, I can talk about him. That's what, that's what Christians do, right? <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. Don't, don't talk about um, your brothers and sisters, unless it's really your brothers and your sisters. So... Uh, I said, Colton, okay, you're going to cover the, the little end table today. <sighs> I'm so tired. It's as deep as his voice is at nine. And uh, he goes out there, and I know that he's not going to get it right. And he comes back in. I go back out, and I go, Colton. And half the cover is still up on the side of the legs to where all the legs are exposed, and it's like covering half the thing. It's like a 40% covering, and the rest of the furniture is still exposed. And so I said, I said, does that look right to you? Oh, I thought I did that. Well, he's always in a hurry, so he's not really paying attention. So we're working on his, his detail. So he goes, he goes back out there again, and he fixes it. And <laughs> I said, you strapped the leg, right, for the wind? I know he didn't. And he says, uh, yeah, I think so. I think so. Oh, and I said, I said, look, there's straps right there. It's not connected. This was like a pretty expensive little cover, and it's going to blow away in one week if you don't strap it. Uh, see, three times, buddy. I had to tell you three times. And then he, then he gets, like, kind of sulky, like, Ugh. sometimes he'll, like, walk out while I'm talking to him at nine. Don't let your kids do that. But, like, he'll, he'll think I'm picking on him. And what he doesn't understand is I see his potential and that he's trained himself to do things certain ways. And as his dad, I know that by giving him a little bit of a challenge, he can overcome those things because when he wants to, he does it well. This kid is putting out YouTube videos, putting metadata on them. He knows how to put in keywords and all this stuff, and, and he does all this stuff, but then he can't get the leg of this table right. That tells me something, that he's capable. He's just not used to being tested for accuracy. And the details matter, right? Church is easy if details don't matter. Church is hard when the computer freezes up. 
Or when, or, when, or when one little thing goes wrong and no one knows how to fix it. And that's why details matter. And that's why we study details. But I tell you this because he gets this, this, this why me mood. Like, can you just get Chloe to do it? Like, he kind of does, like, he does his face. He does his face now. I'm like, you are nine. Can you just get Caleb or just, just you know, he's even doing some of that. I'm like, did you just deep sigh at me? Did, did you, whoosh, I didn't smack him. I thought about it, though. <laughs> Preteens, love it. He's really early. But the problem here is he thinks I'm picking on him when I'm loving him. And so we interpret the challenge in the test as a problem. And, and I know from my own children, I think God gives us kids to really help us understand his relationship to us as our father. Because my children know that I'm always there. We'll, 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 we'll go to the death like the UFC fighters. I'll die in the octagon. Like for my kids, yeah, right, sure you will. Sure you will until the ref saves you. But like I'll do whatever, I really will do whatever it takes for my kids, you know. But also if I see them being dumb or making big foolish mistakes that are hurting them five years down the road that they don't know about, I'm going to try to fix it now. And that's what, that's what God does. And sometimes, sometimes there's not even a reason. Sometimes we never figure out, like, why would God allow this? But that's where faith comes in, that we trust him anyway. Because we know he has our best interests. And so my question today is, have you ever found yourself asking the good old question, why me? Why me? Now, some of you may have expressed this question in response to the grace of God has shown you as you witness the blessings all around you are due to him, being actively aware and in favor of your life and its purpose. However, most of the time, when you hear it in the culture, it's not meant like that, right? When you hear somebody say, why me? Do they mean it like God is so good? They usually mean it as a lighthearted frustration or vent, right? It's a lighthearted frustration that, why God? Why is this happening to me? That's really how the culture uses that, that term, that it's, it's, a, it's like a lighthearted outcry or a venting. And we're asking God, why us? Why would God allow bad things to happen to good people? Why would God allow me to suffer in the season that doesn't seem fair? Why would God allow someone I cared about so deeply to suffer when they didn't deserve that? One of the hardest questions to answer as an advocate for the Lord to those new in Christ is the why question. The why question. And if you've never been approached about the why, you will just keep serving God. Sometimes it may be you asking him, and sometimes it's going to be somebody else asking you, why? Why? First time I had the why question, I was maybe 20, and the, the kid behind me who grew up my whole life, from five years old up, in our 20s, his dad got sick, and he sadly passed away. And Andrew, the, the kid I grew up with, didn't know anything about Jesus, didn't know anything about God, none of that. But he basically said, why would God do that if he's so good? Why would God allow that? That is the hardest question to defend in the gospel. That is the hardest question. And the good news is we're not meant to explain that 
because we can't know everything God does, but we know God allows anything for a reason. And sometimes the reasons are bigger than our sensual understanding to reason through it. That's why God is spirit, because we can't sensualize, uh, you know, touch, smell, taste, um, hear, all the things that God is with our senses. That's why we have to elevate our life into a spiritual level to, to discern in the spirit, like Paul. That's why Paul can say, I rejoice and will continue to rejoice. And here he is in this little shack called house arrest, writing to the Philippian church, thanking them for their love and friendship. Why me? I think the first thing that helps people understand that it's okay not to have an answer is when they understand God's value for their life, that their life is valuable, that how they look to church people is irrelevant to how God sees them. So, you know, like we can look really good in church and then look really bad on Monday, like me in my jammy shorts when I'm working on the computer and, and Pastor Vince gets off at 730 because he's wide awake and I'm just waking up and he's saying, hey, PJ, Friday, love you. I'm like, I haven't taken a drink of coffee yet. I can't function. That was Sunday's work. But seriously, people underestimate God's value over their life. People underestimate their own value over their life. That's why people take their own life, because they think it has no value. But that is the devil's lie. And so the key to trusting in the why God, why me, is understanding first that God values you. Despite of your cultural talents, despite of what kind of car you drive, Jesus loves me anyway, really values my life, well, I never, I never got the plan achieved that I set out, but God still loves me. He sure does. But more than love, he values you. Love has become cliche in the church. It's so generic, we don't know what to do with it. Well, when you, know what, when you want to know how God loves you, you can say he loves me by valuing me. I'm a, I'm a precious treasure to him. And that even though I may, I may have got messed up in my 30s or my 40s or my 70s, he still sees me from the womb in my potential. He still sees me before the world was even made. The plan of Jesus was before the world took place, not as it happened. So God had a plan and purpose well before the sin ever entered the picture. That's why your value cannot change to, to God. So understanding that is important. And Paul recognized that suffering is not a devalue of God. And, a, and contradictory to culture, it may be a blessing from it. Maybe God loves me so much that he wants to make me do it three times to get it right. Because the wind's going to take away my roots just like that cover if I don't have a real footing in this gospel. I can look showy, but when the storm comes, I'm crying for Jesus to seize the waves. But when I have a footing, I know who I call, and I know he will. Not will he, he will. See how I reverse that? Now I declare it because I have a footing in 
my trial, I have a footing in what God sees in me, that he values me. So even when I don't like it and it's like 105 degrees and there's no one to help and you're like, why do I do this? God says, because I value you and I'm taking you somewhere. Y'all getting this? I throw in a little random facts there. Just make, make sense of what you will with it. There's been times as a pastor, I go, why me? Do I even care enough? Why? And then I see my child. I go, that's why. That's why it started. That's why it's going to finish. And that's why it endures. Because God values the labor. God values your investment to your children. God values you coming to church. The culture will lie to you about what it means to love God. The Bible is the blueprint. Don't let the culture trick you. God values you despite your circumstance, and your circumstance may be because of value to him. Now, the sad thing is he values everybody. I can't say he values one person over another. That would be contradictory to unconditional love, right? But the key is when we recognize that we have value, then we are able to accept and meet potential that God has opened a doorway to. And that's the reason you see some people go forward in the kingdom of of, a purpose and finding their calling here on earth. And some people kind of just kind of stay circling the mountain. That's the difference. It's not God values them less. It's that they they are not really finding the relationship yet. I'm going to get there. Paul is writing from this hole in the wall. Let's just call it what it is. It wasn't it wasn't a VRBO special. It was a dump, man, the side of a cliff or something. They didn't have coffee. Maybe they didn't even have water. Maybe he had to call somebody to use the bathroom. Maybe he didn't even get food except certain times a day. I mean, he was under arrest. And so here he is saying, I rejoice. The gospel is preached. Even the fake people, they're preaching it. So I'm glad about that because the heart still receives it the same as long as it's professed and spoken, even when the sender is not always the most honest. That's what he's saying there. So he says, I rejoice either way. He says, what difference does it make? The, 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 the gospel is being preached. He understood the value of preaching God's word, speaking God's word, and he understood the value God had for him. Maybe our hurt today is going to cause us to seek God in a way we've never knew we could seek. I thought I was seeking God until that happened. Now I know what it means to have God as a necessity in my life versus an accessory. He's no longer an accessory to my Instagram. He's a necessity to my blood, to my pulse. You getting this? That's the difference. That's the difference between traditional roots and relationship. That originally was what this title was going to be. We can get caught up in tradition and misrelationship. And it ties to why me, because if, if I say, why God, w- w- they didn't do it this way, then I can say, well, that's what I learned. Therefore, that's what I know, and that's where it will stay. 
But the reason Paul rejoices is because we've been given this new word of freedom to give to those people who didn't know it the way you know it. And so instead of staying stuck in tradition because, well, that's where mom and dad always did it, and that's the way Uncle Billy always did it, this is different. They need you because they never had relationship. And so they never saw God's value. And so they're saying, why me? It's because they got to see the relationship to understand the why. We want roots, but in God. We don't want worldly tradition to stop us from revelation. And that's, that's what Jesus preached against Back then, when he, when he was in the Gospels, walking the earth, he, prince, he preached against the tradition of the Pharisees because they missed the revelation of the Messiah has come. So that kind of tradition still exists today. I try not to be hypersensitive to people, but I'm hypersensitive sometimes to people because I have theological uh, thoughts, and I know the culture. And I know the various views. And I think sometimes they hear certain things out of the text and they go, well, that's not how they did it. And that's not how I learned it. Therefore, I'm out of five. I'm out. And what they did is they just compromised their purpose. Because the word is the word. Word, bird. Bird is the word. Is that a song? Is that Sesame Street? <laughs> We're not talking about Big Bird. We're talking about Jesus. Big Bird. He was kind of tall, wasn't he? But he was so friendly, I wasn't scared of him because he was yellow. Yeah. Man, I learned a lot today at church. We have to understand that roots and tradition stifle relationships in Jesus. Traditions aren't bad until they become the idol that stops you from serving God the way he desires to be served. And that's what the Pharisees did. Their, their idol was the law of the Old Testament. God came to change the law. Jesus wasn't a traditionalist. He was a gangster. He came and shook up the place. He was not politically correct. That was the problem. Because they were so formal in tradition, they couldn't make sense of the raw, honest truth coming at them. And they knew about it from the prophecies. Their own ancestors had prophesied about this. So what I'm saying is when we let the traditional roots stop revelation of relationship, that is when we keep saying, why? Why me? Why God? Because we'll never see it like Paul. And we'll probably never see it like Paul anyway. But if we could just get there to some degree, maybe your day would be more joyful. Maybe you'll look at struggle in a more positive way. You'll be excited to wake up. You'll be excited to conquer the day. Because you see suffering different. Jesus says, I need you to show them relationship. And revelation happens when tradition is broken. And it can't be broken until you show them different. Why me? Why do I have to do it? Can't I just do nothing? They call that being a bump on the log. You can, but you're hurting you in the process. See, this is, this is what I preach when we preach, like giving. People think it's about money. It's not. Giving, when you give out of your heart to others, that is how God 
fixes you. It's really a selfish thing, and it's done unselfishly. That's why it's so important that when we relinquish control of what God has allowed in and out of our life, we see the biggest fulfillment in our life. It really does help us personally by helping others. That's why we do it, to help them, help us, and let the whole world see God for what he designed him to be seen as. There's a bond there. God wants to form a bond with you. And unfavorable moments cause a bond. My greatest day of bonding with Jesus was not when everything was good. It was probably one of the worst seasons of my life. Can I get an amen? Now, why do you think that is? Do you think it's because God likes punishing you? No, it's because he sees the potential in you to keep sending you back to that thing over and over until the breakthrough happens. That's why. He's not, he's not trying to bully you. He knows your potential. He knows you're impatient with purpose. So you think it should just happen yesterday the way you thought. But there's a point where you finally say, I don't want it my way no more. It's too stressful. I want it God's way. So God showed it to me. Help me keep doing this until I do it right. And then the wind can't blow you away when the devil comes, when the storm comes. I'm going to take this another direction here. Does anybody use Instagram? It's okay. Anybody? Facebook? Nicole? Me and you use Instagram? Evidently, the other couple billion users aren't in this room. <laughs> they have ads. I've talked about my ad problem. I'm getting better. You know, they ads. They just know your heart before you even know it's in your heart. Oh, you need this protein with collagen because it's going to make you look different by just taking a swig. It's magic. Oh, you need the latest exercise thing or you need the latest whatever diet fad. You need the latest intermittent fasting schedule. You, now you need to do some macro cycling. No, let's do some carb cycling. Everything you could think of maybe that would make your life better, Instagram already knows about it. So I'm going to challenge you today to run your own spiritual ad for Jesus. You know what those people are doing. They're building their brand. They're building their brand. You know why we put the logo out front of everything we do more so than the name of the church? Because we're building a symbol that when people see that, they go, that's for Jesus. We're building our brand for Jesus. But... It doesn't stop there. That comes together by each of us doing the same. So what if your life was a brand for Jesus? How would you market it? Well, I don't have any marketing money. That's okay. This one's free. You can brand this baby all day in the spirit to people because God's word is free, and you can just keep casting seed, baby, by the thousands. One seed at a time, of course, because we want it to root. We want it to root. You like that, Jen? You see how I plugged the brand right there? There's nothing wrong with being strategic with God's word to reach people in a lost world. That sounds like a business. It is for Jesus. It is. You want to get there? Build your brand. Amanda, I know you got a brand going. It takes, it takes work, doesn't it? And I bet it didn't just go good the first time either. I bet the first time maybe the logo was no good. Sorry, Vince, I don't know if you helped her on that. 
<laughs> Not that one. Maybe the first time the, the copy was sloppy and you're like, are they illiterate? What are they saying to me? Or maybe the first time, you know, you know it, it, didn't, it didn't look like the product. But what matters is you, you took a step to start showing something of the thing you're promoting, right? What are we promoting? Jesus. I'm talking about the church. That's you. That's the people. So how do I promote God's brand? God delivers us through circumstance. Your story is your brand. You know, every good marketing brand has a founding story. And it's always just warms the heart to get you to cough up the dough. You know, like the, the what was it, the origami owl thing? Was that it? it? Was Michelle, you in here? Was it the origami owl where they had this most sensitive story of this little girl behind this like billion dollar thing? And you see, all you see is the story about the little girl. And you're like, oh, okay, let's, let's just go spend 500 on some necklaces. Let's go do that because it's for the children. That's branding. I'm not saying that's what you should do with everything, but with Jesus, it's authentically true and in life changing impression you can make. So, so what could you do if your story was the foundation to your branding of the Messiah and his word? I know it sounds corny to use that term with Jesus, but we're in a world that doesn't hear the gospel. We're in a world with deaf ears. And so when you connect with them like something they can relate, like, did he say Instagram? Woohoo! He said, how to get more likes? Woohoo! He said, he said, he said, brand, that sounds like something a pastor would not say. They're supposed to be too dumb for that. They're supposed to be just about the Bible. We use our story to get in the hearts with God's word. That's your calling. That's your story. That's your brand for Jesus. You want to bless your business? Share the brand of Jesus. You want to bless your house? Share the brand of Jesus. Welcome. There's a reason. Welcome shirts. We're sharing the brand of Jesus. We have shirts because we have one seed shirts. We have shirts that say everything about like what we preach because we're branding God's word into people. Oh, you thought I was talking about the kind of brand, like the thing. No, I'm talking about the thing you score them with. You brand them into people. They can't, it can't leave them. There's a branding of the heart through repentance that leads people to the baptismal out there today. That's what happens is they were branded, bought and purchased, and now they're lifetime subscribers. Isn't that good? It sounds like preaching. You can stand with me this morning if you want. I ask that you please do. Your testimony is what you are showing people God has done in your life. It doesn't have to be some big thing to be impactful. Remember, value is not rated by how substantial the world rates it. So that's another cop-out. The devil lies to you and says, your story is not significant enough. That's not true. Because God values your story just like the next person because the value doesn't change just because the situation does. That's why you got to know that your story has value to people because God gave it to you. And if you say it has no value, you're saying God doesn't have value for my story. That's not true.
Amen? That's not true. Look to your neighbor, tell them that's not true. I have value. I have value. Come on, tell somebody. I have value. Point to yourself. I have value. I am valuable to Jesus. Why me? Replace why me with yes, Lord. Turn that question into a statement. Claim it in Jesus' name. Just like Paul, it's not why me. It's recognizing that you're chosen. You're chosen. Why me? Because he, insert, following adverb. Why me? Because he. Why me? Because he loves me. Why me? Because he died for me. Why me? Because he went to the cross when he didn't have to for me. Why me? Because he loved you enough to tell you the truth and make you do it three times. That's why. Why me? Because if he didn't care, he'd leave you on the bump on the log. But he says, I see your value. You got to come with me, son. You got to come with me, daughter. That's why. Yes, Lord. I'm going. I'm going somewhere for Jesus. I'm going. I rejoice, and I will continue to rejoice. You know why? He says, because of this, I will rejoice. Because of despite how it looks, I know God values me, and I will continue to rejoice. Let's pray. God, we pray for your your hand today. We've felt your presence today. God, let your hand not leave this place, but work its way out to the sidewalks right now after service. God, we thank you for open hearts that have been branded to change their life, to say goodbye to that old body and bury that thing. And we are excited. We are excited and rejoice that we have the opportunity and we are honored to take part in this transition from old to new, God. We thank you, God. We pray that this experience today pricks the heart of someone nearby and that they take this into the world and they they show you to the world like Instagram shows me those products. That we elevate, we elevate the game. We elevate the spiritual game in this world and they don't know what they needed until we show it to them first. We're gonna do that now, God. We're thankful for truth. We're thankful for the text that doesn't change, that isn't corruptible, that doesn't fold, that never fails, that I can be faithful even when I don't understand and I don't have to ask why anymore. I just say, yes, Lord, I rejoice. Yes, Lord, I will rejoice. Because of this, it will continue in my favor. We give you thanks now. We worship now. And if the house of God together can say in Jesus' name, everybody say amen.